Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 10th, 2018 edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week, brought to you by SquadQL. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at AmITheRealBlair. And my co-host is Hassan Rahim, who you can follow at HRR5010. Hassan, how's it going? It's going fantastic, Blair. We're back. Week one. Everyone's hurt. Yeah. Yes, an exciting week one. Uh, yeah, the Browns, of course, somehow managed not to lose a game, but still weren't able to win. So, And uh, we've got a ton of injuries to talk about. Uh, great way to start a season. Uh, and, uh, you know, no better person to uh, discuss it with than our guest today. Joining us on the show is John Lipinski. John is a contributor to Rotoviz, where he writes the Dynasty Watch article series. You can follow him on Twitter at FF underscore Skeeball. John, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Uh, no problem, guys. Going pretty good, except for, you know, all my teams being on fire right now with injuries of guys just going down left and right. But other than that, just fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> a tough week, uh, you know, to <laughs> have a lot of these guys on your fantasy team, watch them go down. And uh, obviously we wish them all the best uh, and we'll try to make sense of how to how to respond to all these injuries. Um, start off, I guess, with sort of some breaking news, although it won't be by the time this airs, but uh, Aaron Rodgers was just carted off the field into Packers locker room after suffering what appeared to be a knee injury. Um, so, you know, this season seems to be over almost as soon as it began for Rodgers, uh, if it's as serious as people are speculating. Um, so, John, I guess, what uh, what's your reaction to this Rodgers injury? Are you, you know, spending all your money to get Deshaun Kaiser in Superflex leagues, or... Uh, what are you thinking about the Packers offense if he has to miss significant time? Uh, obviously some of it's wait and see what the diagnosis is before you go blowing your uh, waiver priority or your free agent dollars on them. But the fact that um, it was a knee injury that he got carted off does not seem positive. If Rogers is indeed out, I think that in Superflex, Kaiser's definitely a guy you want to target unless you have a, a league with severe penalties for interceptions that, you know, no matter how bad he was as an actual quarterback last year, and this was on you know one of the worst teams on the, in the league, the Browns, that were jerking him around. Um, he has a much better uh, surrounding cast this year with the Packers than he did with the Browns, and he could run. He can run for touchdowns. He actually had some usable fantasy games last year. So I think Kaiser's definitely a guy you could target if Rodgers is indeed going to miss a significant portion of the season here. As as for the other guys on Green Bay, Adams still thrived last year without Rodgers, but you got to wonder the you know kind of side pieces there. It's Geronimo Allison, Randall Cobb, where he uh, kind of said, hey, you know these guys maybe they're not great, but they got Aaron Rodgers throwing to them. They're in this Packers offense now. All of a sudden, the shine comes off those guys a lot more than it had previously. Yeah, and like the one thing that I'm going to note here is that. The Packers, as we noted last week, are carrying a lot of receivers. Like all the rookies are on the staff. Uh, they IRJ Kumaro, like there's a bunch of guys there. And uh, if Rodgers is out for the season, not only is football poorer as a sport, fantasy football is as well. Rodgers has the ability. Uh, I referred to him before as a kingmaker. He really is. I mean, he takes these guys from you know, the fringes of a wide receiver four play, like an Allison, and he's capable of, like, pushing those dudes into a wide receiver two, wide receiver one finish, uh, just by virtue of how high-powered this offense is. 
Geyser under him, the offense, uh, you know, it may not be as bad. We don't really know yet. It's going to be interesting to see how this will shake out. Hundley seemed to really latch on to Devontae Adams. Maybe Kaiser will as well. Uh, that's kind of what happened last season when uh, Rodgers was out. But I'll be interested to see exactly how fantasy viable a lot of the auxiliary and ancillary pieces on this offense will be. Yeah, I think there's a chance for them to still be relevant. You know, obviously he's no Aaron Rodgers, but again, like I said with Kaiser, he was not in a great situation last year. I don't think we really know what he is yet. He could be better than we think, and we'll see what this Green Bay running game looks like too. That Aaron Jones is suspended for two games. Uh, Jamal Williams is starting the year, but Jamal Williams actually played pretty well last year. So. It might be a good opportunity if Rodgers is indeed going to miss a lot of time, maybe buy low on some of these pieces and say, hey, everybody's going to be panicking and thinking this is going to be just as bad as it was last year, that um, you know it's going to be the exact same thing. But they, they have some different personnel now, and maybe Kaiser is really bad. Uh, maybe he's not. You know, maybe maybe he'll be passable or at least better than Huntley was last year. So it might be a decent opportunity to buy low on some of those pieces and say, hey, you know, let, let me get my hands on him now, especially in Dynasty, where you can expect Rodgers back next year, regardless of what happened. Yeah, that's a great point. Even though, you know, Kaiser is obviously a downgrade from Rodgers, almost everyone is. Kaiser's getting a pretty big upgrade in terms of his situation, uh, you know, at least a slight upgrade in terms of coaching staff, probably. Um, do either of you guys think that if Rodgers has to miss time, the Packers might? lean more on the run uh, I mean they probably will not be probably be behind in more games I would guess so that would kind of limit their ability to do that but I wonder if they'll try to uh, try to take the ball out of Kaiser's hand more I could see that happening that they have uh, again I think they have some talented running backs there a lot of people were on Aaron Jones as the better runner and he very well might be but Jamal Williams hasn't looked bad either so if they say, hey, these are where our most talented players are, that these guys are actually good. Ty Montgomery um, can do a lot of different things, has a lot of versatility. You know, a lot of times you tailor your game plan to where your most talented guys are. So I could see them saying, hey, this is where we have talent. You know, the offensive line is a little bit different than last year. They could go out there and say, hey, you know, let's let's see if we can make this work. And you never want your primary game plan to be the run, but they could turn to a little more and maybe use their running backs a little more in the passing game, too with the short passes as opposed to asking Kaiser to hang back in there in the pocket and sling it downfield, try some more quick hits underneath. Week two saw two separate starting tight ends suffer serious injuries. Greg Olson is on crutches and has a walking boot on his surgically repaired right foot. Also, Delaney Walker was carted off the field with a gruesome ankle injury in the fourth quarter of Sunday week's, uh, Sunday's week one game in Miami. We don't know the extent of Walker's injury or Olson's injury, but they seem pretty severe. John, how do you expect these teams to fill the void? Well, I think that when you look at Walker, that looked like a season ender. You know, I'm, I'm no doctor, but, you know, when your foot turns that way, it certainly doesn't look good that you have to at least expect um, he's going to miss the majority of the year. And the guy behind him is actually the most exciting guy, that John Smith's a guy I've been holding in a bunch of dynasty teams, you know, just hoping he would eventually get an opportunity. And that, then that kind of looked like that was not going to happen after Delaney Walker got his two-year extension that said, okay, well, uh, that's going to delay it for two years. Um, if you look at Delaney Walker's you know career statistics, 
he hasn't played less than 14 games since he was a rookie, like a 20 year old, 22 year old rookie. So, I mean, he's, he's been a healthy, you know, tight ends do get injured a decent amount, but he's been very healthy. So could not predict a freak injury like this happening, but now that's happened. Um, Johnu Smith is a guy that had one of the highest scores ever in Phil Watkins, uh, tight end model over here at Rotoviz, uh, as far as, you know, chances for success of, of, you know, starting 64 games in the career. I think that's a criteria that looked at, uh, the guys who scored around where John who scored in there are, you know, they're perennial T one type guys. So he's a legitimately talented player. And with Walker missing time, he's a guy that, uh, you know, I personally, I, I have Scott, I have Delaney Walker and Scott fishbowl and I have Olsen too. <laughs> they both went down. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to need to be bidding on a tight end and I, I probably won't, um, hesitate to, to put in a decent bid on Johnny Smith there, but I imagine a lot of other people will be too. Um, as for Olsen, the guy behind him is rookie Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas also scored decently in the tight end model. Uh, not great, but not, not anywhere close to Johnny, but uh, the thing, the hesitation with him is that he's a rookie and rookie tight ends typically do not do a whole lot, but part of that is they don't always get the opportunity and he might have to get the opportunity this year. I would not be nearly as high on him though for the simple reason that there's a lot of mouths to feed over there in Carolina and Olsen would get targets just by virtue of being Olsen he's been on the team forever he's got a relationship with Cam Newton got a relationship with the coaching staff uh he's you know a very good player over his career that I don't think you can expect another tight end to step in and start seeing those targets that those targets might just for the most part, start going to other places saying, okay, we can get more to our wide receivers. We can get more to McCaffrey. Uh, you know, Cam Newton, you know, can run it. CJ Anderson might be in there. Um, you know, DJ Moore did not play a whole heck of a lot this first game, but you know, he's a guy that maybe as the season goes on can step in. So I think uh, Thomas is definitely worth adding. If Olsen's going to miss significant time and based on the fact that he's in crutches and a walking boot, I expect he will. But I think the guy for me is probably Janu over Ian Thomas. Yeah, I agree with that call. Uh, Janu was someone I own in a lot of dynasty leagues, and I'm really uh, hopeful to see him kind of take a big step forward. Um, there's probably not a lot to learn from just the games, you know, that we saw tonight. Not only because Walker didn't go down until the fourth quarter, but also there was a long delay. Uh, for lightning uh Corey davis saw 13 targets so you know i don't know if we can expect that to keep going uh going forward but it seems like they definitely want to get him worked in a lot more um so there are some receivers here that you know i think will probably take priority over smith just you know we haven't seen smith do a lot even when he's uh you know had uh, some opportunity obviously he hasn't had much but um, I think it might also be a crowded situation, kind of like you mentioned with Carolina, uh, a lot of mouths to feed, so to speak, in in Tennessee as well. Um, so yeah, and actually the same is kind of true that we can't learn a lot from today's game in Carolina just because of what kind of a weird game that was with only uh, 26 pass attempts from Cam Newton. Um, I think we should expect them to play a little more up-tempo the rest of the season. Uh, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I think that would be the case. They were also, um, 
you know, the, the, the Tennessee-Miami game is a weird game with the two lightning delays, Mariota getting injured twice in there and then finally leaving the game that uh, I can't read too much into the offense yet that I did expect uh, LaFleur coming in from the Rams where he ran a very fast-paced offense, you know, when, they, when it was a neutral situation. They only really slowed down in the second half once they were, you know, kicking the crap out of the other team and they were just trying to salt the game away. Uh, I did expect him to come in and really, you know, get that, that offense moving at a higher pace, higher tempo. So I think that Tennessee, you will see that eventually, even if it wasn't really obvious in this first game. Uh, for Carolina, again, they were playing Dallas, and Dallas always, I feel like in recent years, you play Dallas, it just gets bogged down. You know, they, they drag you down to their level of just slow, crappy offense. And, um, you know, but I think, I do think that the Titans have a less crowded area than the Panthers do. That Corey Davis had 13 targets today, I think. And you might see that continue, but he also didn't do a whole heck of a lot with them. Um, you had a decent amount of Deion Lewis targets, but beyond those guys, I mean, Taewon Taylor is a guy who's been talked up a lot, uh, you know, and Richard Matthews is working his way back from an injury, but there's not really a whole lot on there. That team that really demands, you know, that performance wise, at least really demands, Hey, get me the ball. So uh, I think, I think again, that Tennessee is, you know, not just from the player perspective of John Smith, but also from the situation I could see him stepping into, you know, a much bigger share of the targets there where they say, hey, you know, this guy's a legit offensive weapon. And, you know, our, our other weapons maybe aren't as exciting, you know, as maybe some of the guys in Carolina are. Yeah. So I just want to break in with uh, some news that uh, Ian Rappaport, he just reported that Delaney Walker suffered a dislocated ankle in today's loss versus the Dolphins. And there's also an associated fracture and his season is almost certainly over. So take all this information and I guess we're going to go hard on Jonu Smith probably. Uh, just if you really desperately need a tight end, there are probably better plays out there. And <laughs> it's going to be really fascinating to see how this uh, shakes out. Uh, so what are you doing in, say, Scott Fishbowl, where it's super flex and tight end premium, uh, and you got to choose between Kaiser and Smith? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I, I lost Mariota, too. Well, we'll see how much i mean his injury did not necessarily look as bad but you know an elbow injury for a quarterback is concerning so uh you know i fortunately have sam darnold backing backing him up so i do have a, a third quarterback on that roster but you know if if i had to choose between those two guys you know i i think i might go a little harder on smith only because i think it's rare when a quarterback gets injured his backup will automatically be okay you know he, here's a backup quarterback he's going to start you know, whereas with the tight end, uh, a lot of these guys do not have an exciting young or even old guy behind him where you could say, hey, I think he could step in and take a big portion of this offense. That if you look at some of the backups around the league, you know, um, you got Mike Gesicki. You know, he's a rookie down in Miami. He didn't see a lot of work today. But but let's say he got hurt, you know. Well, who's coming in next? Uh, A.J. Derby or something like that. I mean, it, nobody who's going to excite you where you're going to like, oh, yeah. You're going to say, okay, that's a guy who's probably going to spend most of his time blocking and, and maybe get some targets. Whereas I think John, who really has the upside to be the kind of guy who will get a decent amount of targets and, uh, you know, t take a big role in that offense. So I think that he's the type of guy that you're not going to find later in the season. Whereas, unfortunately, we probably will see another quarterback injury or two. Um, and, and Kaiser, I think, does have more upside than some other backups for quarterbacks, too. 
But at the same time, like I said, whoever does get a start at quarterback, you know, it's, it's a onesie position that, you know, once you're the starting quarterback, you're the starting quarterback. So there's no real opportunity difference. And we haven't seen enough from Kaiser to say for sure that, you know, he's more talented than any of these other backups. So I think that quarterback will be a little bit scarcer uh, than tight end from that perspective of like getting a guy who could be a legit starter for you. Before we get into no shit shit, now I have a quick reminder that you can support the Rotoviz Radio Network and our 10 shows per week on Patreon. By doing so, you'll gain exclusive access to Rotoviz Live, our weekly Sunday morning video show answering all your fantasy questions. Patronships start at just $5 a month and provide exclusive access to Rotoviz Live. It's four shows per month on top of 40 podcasts for just $5. Become a Rotoviz Radio patron today to join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high-quality, industry-leading programming. And speaking of exclusives, as a loyal podcast listener, you can get a 30% off a Rotoviz NFL Pass right now. It is available through the NFL Podcast home phase, rotoviz.com slash podcast. The season is almost here. Make sure you're ready. Actually, the season is here. What am I saying? Gain <laughs> unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools so you get amazing value and support the podcast network. Once again, that's rotoviz.com slash podcast. All right, now let's get into no shit shit no. First item up, Deshaun Watson completed 17 of 34 passes for 176 yards, one touchdown and one interception in the Texans' 27 to 20 Week One loss to the Patriots, adding eight carries for 40 additional yards. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, no shit on that one. That we all knew he was going to regress. That uh, he, there was no way he was as good as he was last year over over that stretch where he put up, you know, an insane you know seven or eight games, whatever it was. Uh, at the same time, I think he's going to be better than this going forward. Uh, he lost a fumble on the first play of the game or his first snap of the game. Had a little bit of bad luck. Will Fuller was out. I think that there will be better days ahead for him. But at the same time, I, I like to say uh, no shit on this one just because of where he was being drafted was kind of silly. That people were taking him ahead of guys like Cam Newton, and I, I just did not really see that for for a guy who just had seven or eight hot games and threw a lot of balls I could have been intercepted last year. I still think Deshaun Watson's really, really good. Uh, they went to Foxborough and they lost uh, by a touchdown, which, I mean, it didn't look at, as such uh, if you're watching the game. It, the final box score is more generous. But the one thing that is important to note about Deshaun Watson here is that he is capable of supporting multiple fantasy viable receivers. He is very, very talented. Uh, he is coming off an ACL tear. And tangentially, this also feels like part of the reason why the Eagles are trying to be very cautious with Wentz upon his return, because there's no guarantee that we're going to see the same man on fire Wentz that we did last season. Uh, Watson is going to take his lumps, but one thing's for sure. I mean, I, I'm i off the belief that he is capable of supporting two fantasy viable wide receivers, and it'll be exciting to see when, one, he's fully healthy, and two, what's going to happen when Will Fuller is fully healthy. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the other thing with Watson is his obvious rushing upside. You know, he had eight carries for 40 yards this week, and I think, you know, that's that's you know certainly not anywhere close to his ceiling as far as rushing goes. That we can see him rush for a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns, and in leagues where uh, you know you're getting six points for a rushing touchdown, but only four pants four points for a passing touchdown. Um, you know, these rushing quarterbacks can put up these these big games that the guys, the pocket passers, need to have like an insane passing line, 
you know, kind of like, you know, Drew Brees or Ryan Fitzpatrick today <laughs> to uh, to really equal what they're doing. So I, I think Watson will still be good. Um, I just think he was being overdrafted and, you know, you, you'll see some games like this one. You know, they're not all going to be the four or five touchdown game, games he was rolling out there for a stretch last year. Jimmy Garoppolo competed completed just 15 of 33 passes for 261 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions in the 49ers' 24-16 Week 1 loss to the Vikings. Um, I'm going to go with shit no here. That Vikings defense is really good. Uh, I also think Garoppolo is being a bit overdrafted this offseason, but he's going to have better days than this one going forward. That uh, Going into this matchup, everybody expected, you know, no matter what he did, um, Garoppolo is going to have some issues just because the Vikings were so good. So I'll give him a pass on this week and, and wait to see what he does. I wouldn't mind throwing out even like a low ball trade offer on him if somebody wanted to give it to me. But my one concern is, you know, I don't know if his, if his receivers are as good as he would need to be, you know, a really elite quarterback that Pierre Garcon's getting older. Marquise Goodwin, I think he had a minor injury today, but I think he was okay. Um, but you know, we, we've only really seen one good year out of him so far. Uh, Dante Pettis is a rookie, even though he did have some big plays today. George Kittle, the second-year tight end, who again, you know, had a nice little, you know, part of a season last year, but but still hasn't done much. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about Garoppolo, but I don't read too much into this uh, first week here where he had to face a Vikings defense that I think is going to give a lot of quarterbacks problems. Steelers running back James Conner rushed 31 times for 135 yards and two touchdowns while catching five of six targets for 57 yards in Sunday's week one game versus the Browns. I'm going no shit. You know, he looked good during the preseason. Yeah, this was the Browns. It was a muddy field and everything. But I think the main thing there, and yes, they did this in overtime partially, uh, but 31 rushes and five of six targets that um, the Steelers are going to run him out there. As long as Le'Veon Bell holds out, and who knows, your guess is as good as mine when that's going to end. It could go the 10 weeks. It could end tomorrow for all we know. But as long as he's out, I think the Steelers have every incentive to run a guy out there as the guy and you know show that he's good and that they can win without Bell. <laughs> it's going to put the pressure right on him to, to, to sign that tender to say, hey, look, you're not doing yourself any favors here You know when this guy's putting up similar numbers to you. Um, Obviously, I don't think Connor is as good as Bell, but the Steelers have a potent offense, and if they're going to give him a ton of touches, I think he's good enough to do stuff with them. They've got a decent offensive line. Like, why not? I'm 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 in on James Connor for as long as they're using him. Yeah, I think what's especially notable about this line is that it, there wasn't another Steelers running back who even touched the ball. Uh, so, yeah, they obviously have every intention of basically using Connor as they would Bell. Yeah, I was going to say Jalen Samuels, uh, a lot of people were talking about him coming in and maybe catching a lot of passes, but that just was not the case. They, they just ran Connor out there. They weren't afraid to use him around the goal line. Uh, any running back who's getting that kind of opportunity doesn't really even matter how good he is. If they're getting that kind of opportunity, they're they're an every week play. Yep, and you guys should know that the Rotoviz box score scout actually spits out Le'Veon Bell as one of Connor's comps. So, like John said, I'm in on James Conner as long as the Steelers are on him. John Ross got one of two targets for a three-yard touchdown in the Bengals' week one win over the Colts. Um, I'm going to say no shit on this one, that there's been a lot of John Ross hype building. And yes, I don't think this is going to be indicative of a stat line going forward. 
But A.J. Green is still going to be the target hog there. Tyler Eifert, for as long as he's healthy, is going to get some targets. They clearly want to use Joe Mixon a lot. I think in games where they have maybe a worse game script, now they, they were losing earlier in this game before they finally took the lead, um, you might see Ross getting some more targets. But, you know, he's going to be a boom-bust type of guy. He's not going to have a, uh, a high floor. So, I mean, best ball leagues, you know, uh, he's definitely a guy that, you should have been targeting and he did catch a touchdown. The fact that they threw it to him in the end zone, I think it was on a fade. You know, a, a lot of people were saying, Hey, he's a guy that uh, you would expect to be scoring these long touchdowns. They'd be targeting him down the field, but they got down close to the end zone and, and gave it to him there. So I think that uh, it's one of those situations where there's some good and some bad there. Two targets clearly isn't good, but some end zone usage. Hey, you know, they want to get him involved and he was on the field. So uh, I think that it's uh, a good thing. You know, you just got to make sure you temper expectations. Just some breaking news here. It looks like Aaron Rodgers is jogging to the Packers' sideline, and it looks like he's going to give, coming back into the game, a shot here right out of the first half, uh, and he's going to give uh, it a shot. It's going to be interesting to follow. Well, I guess you can just take the first 10 minutes of this pod and just throw it in the trash can then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still good to have that information just in case something happens down the line, right? <laughs> Evan Ingram hauled in two of five targets for 18 yards in the Giants' week one loss to the Jaguars. Uh, I'm going to say no shit, but uh, I'm a Giants fan, so I watch this game. And Evan Ingram looked good. He he had one target, too, where he caught beautiful pass over the middle. It got called back due to a holding call that um, didn't really affect the play that much. It, it didn't seem to me. So I thought Ingram looked good. He's talented. It's just, for me, over the offseason, the question always was, is he going to be able to get enough targets to justify his ADP? That with Saquon Barkley in the fold, with, who curiously did not get that many targets himself, uh, but with Barkley and Odell Beckham, uh, you know, you could see that he just – there's no way – I don't think he's going to match his targets from last year. That's targets – usually, you know, a rookie tight end, you figure his targets go up in the second year. I think Ingram's the type of guy where it will go down. Now – I think that he can still be a top 12 tight end. He should still be a T1 just based on the fact that he's talented and he will get a decent amount of targets. And there aren't that many tight ends you can say that about, but he's one of those guys that you're going to have to maybe not say he, he's a locked in starter for me every week. Like he would last year. You say, uh, you know, you might want to pick your spots here and there based on matchup or something like that. LeSean McCoy rushed seven times for 22 yards in week one against Baltimore. Also, Nathan Peterman was benched in the third quarter. <laughs> yeah, that was that was just a shit show there, wasn't it? Um, McCoy, McCoy started, I think the whole Bills offense in the first half under Peterman got like 20 yards or something ridiculous like that, zero first downs. Uh, it's hard to really take a lot away from that. Baltimore is also very good defensively. Their defense was good last year. They uh, maybe even improved it this year. So going into Baltimore on a kind of nasty, windy, rainy day uh, and facing that defense with what is not a rookie quarterback, but might as well be a quarterback who could, you know, b based on what we've seen him do, you know, in the NFL so far, could be one of the worst in the league. Uh, I can't panic too much about McCoy. I think as much as hate as Josh Allen got, uh, coming in out of the draft, you know, including myself, you know, saying how he was overdrafted, uh, he should be better than Peterman. So I think that 
McCoy is the type of guy that you might even want to send out a buy low offer for. You know, obviously in Dynasty, you know, he's getting towards the end of the line here, so you, you don't want to be paying too much. But I think that if you're looking for a guy to, to plug and play this season, he's going to have some better games than this. That It's it's kind of hard to judge what they did. You know, in the first half, they got, you know, blown out. By, by the second half, they're getting blown out so bad. You know, you're not going to run McCoy into the ground when you're already down 30 nothing or whatever. So I'm not reading too, too much into this one, but it's something to be aware of that. Hey, this Bill's offense is going to be bad. This team is going to be bad. Uh, so while it's not always going to be as bad as this week, you know, temper expectations. Finally, happy to use the phrase, one of my most owned players, Naheem Hines, rushed for five, rushed five times for 19 yards and caught seven of nine targets for 33 yards in the Colts' week one loss to the Bengals. So uh, I'm also on uh, that bandwagon. He's was one of my most owned guys, at least through the early part of the offseason. I was drafting a lot of them, and then the preseason came around, and I kind of backed off of that in best ball leagues, saying, well, I've got enough of him already. Uh, I don't know if I want to continue this, because he had a pretty bad preseason. Uh, he fumbled a lot on uh, punt and kick returns, which you know should not really affect his role in the running game, but it's hard to separate you know, the fact that he's he's muffing all these balls and the fact that he was not running too early in the game. He was being used behind Wilkins. And obviously when Mac is Marlon Mack comes back healthy, you'd expect he'd be running behind Tim too. Uh, you know, that, that was all concerning, but then he came out here and I know on the, I don't remember if it was the first player, just the first series that they, they targeted him immediately and uh, they, they targeted him throughout the game. So it kind of suggests that they might, even if, Marlon Mack comes back and he might push more of Jordan Wilkins out of the way and they will find a way to get Naheem Hines in there because outside of T.Y. Hilton, Ryan Grant, you've got Chester Rogers who is okay, but nobody's getting excited about Chester Rogers there. Um, he's really never done anything. And their depth chart, I actually was looking at this for an article the other day, behind uh, those guys. Can, let, let me ask you guys, without looking, can you name the two guys uh, on the depth chart behind Hilton, Rogers, and Grant at wide receiver? <laughs> okay. Uh, and, Hilton, Rogers, Grant. Oh, I don't know. One, they're rookies. Darius Fountain. Yeah, is and, he still around? No, he got cut. Deion okay. Kane's on IR. So not, we're not going to count Deion Kane because he went on IR. Right. Um, I mean, I, I wrote an article. I got to go look it up still. You know, that it was it was that bad. It was guys that I was like, wait, who are these dudes? Um, so it's it's basically just devoid of talent out there. And yes, they can run two tight end sets with uh, Ebron and Doyle, but they do not have a whole heck of a lot at wide receiver. So it would not be shocking to see Hines keep going out there and catching passes even once Marlon Mack comes back. So I actually think this is a uh, 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 no shit right here that, yeah, hey. That's kind of what we thought during the offseason. They said they were putting him all over the field. They were using him as a wide receiver. And all the, the bad play in the, the preseason kind of got everybody off that. But if this can be his role, I think he can actually be kind of valuable uh, right here. Because I, I found the names. It's Zach Pascal and Marcus Johnson. <laughs> and if you can tell me anything about those two guys other than, you know, I think Brian Malone said, oh, uh, when I when I mentioned that to him, he said, oh, the you sure? I'm pretty sure those were uh, names that were generated in uh, the franchise mode of Madden when I played it back in the day. Those aren't real <laughs> players. 
So, uh, yeah, th- there's there's not a whole lot of great pass catchers there beyond the top three. And it's debatable about, you know, even Rodgers. I like Grant, but, you know, even him, you know, there's not a whole lot of pedigree there. So uh, Hines, Hines could have a role going forward to you when Matt comes back. I, I, no shit. I like this. Definitely. I mean, you know, nine targets is probably a lot to expect every week. But even if we are talking about maybe six or seven targets, you know, over a 16-game season, that's almost 100 targets and, you know, another 100 carries. That's the same workload that almost the same workload Christian McCaffrey had last year. And he was a top nine PPR running back, almost the same workload Kamara had. And he was obviously amazing. But, uh, you know, a workload like that where you're getting 100 targets as a running back, that's huge. Absolutely. Inject that into my veins. I want to see Hines succeed. <laughs> Philip Lindsay rushed 15 times for 71 yards and hauled in two or three targets for 31 yards and a touchdown in Broncos' week one win over the Seahawks. I'm going no shit. Lindsay is legit, I think. He came in in the preseason and absolutely tore it up. You had players on the Broncos saying, basically coming out and saying, hey, this dude's our third down back. Just watch. You know, he's he's really just going off in camp here. And he's a guy that I was adding to the back end of a lot of my rosters, uh, a couple dynasty teams and in best ball saying, hey, you know, uh, you know, the FFPC leagues that go 28 deep. He's a guy you could frequently get, you know, the 26th, 27th, 28th round there uh, add on as a late running back. And he looked he looked great today and he played a lot more than Booker. Now, I don't think we necessarily see him play as much as Freeman, which happened this week, that they had an identical rushing line, and then Lindsey actually out-received him. Um, I'd be surprised if he you know, comes in and he's the guy and he actually has more opportunity than Freeman going forward. But uh, he's looking like he can absolutely be the, th- the electric third-down guy there who gets a lot of touches and then is – you know, maybe he's uh, Freeman's primary backup, too, where if anything happened to Freeman, he could really explode. So uh, Lindsay's, you know, there's a lot of leagues where he's probably still on the wire. That will not be the case after this week. But make sure you try and add him and put in a competitive bid for him, because I don't think this was a fluke that they came in week one. Booker was healthy. Freeman was healthy. And Lindsay's a rookie. And they said, hey, we're, we're going to give this guy a lot of opportunity. And he made the most of it. Yeah, remember a few weeks ago I mentioned on the uh, on this year podcast that I was adding Lindsay in a bunch of leagues with the uh, you know bidding sixty nine out of a thousand dollars. I think I'm going to go back and respond <laughs> to all those emails with uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. All, all, all the haters <laughs> like, Who, who's this guy you're adding? Why'd you spend that much on him? Yeah, well, suck it, guys. Also, <laughs> also got to give credit. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Ryan Bobbitt over on Rotoviz who originally profiled him there and, and really got me on Lindsay. And then one, once he started showing out, um, got everybody to pay attention. So good call by him on Lindsay. That if people added him, that, that was a good call. That's another one that Bob has had. He uh, had Keelan Cole last year as well, if you remember him. Bob is building a portfolio of uh, of guys that he can just, you know, every year get that one guy he can hang his hat on and just say, hey, look, I got it. You know, you, you should have listened to me. So uh, <laughs> this is Lindsay might be that guy this year. Coach Pete Carroll said Doug Baldwin has been diagnosed with a sprained right MCL. Oh shit, no! God damn it! This isn't uh, this isn't uh, no. His MCL's not sprained. It's uh, th- this really sucks because supposedly, yeah, it's not even the same knee that was already bothering him. Um, Ace MCLs again, not a doctor here, but to my understanding, they vary in severity. This could be a couple weeks. This could be, 
you know, closer to six or seven weeks, depending how severe it is. So with another knee that's bothering him, he was in line for a lot of targets this year. The fact that he's going to miss time and, and even once he comes back, his other knee supposedly, he was saying, would never be quite right during the season. Now, I don't know, maybe that other knee just needed rest and he figured it wouldn't get it. Maybe that gives that knee time to rest up. I'm not sure exactly. But obviously this is not good and uh might be Tyler Lockett time, Brandon Marshall time. I, I don't really know. I, I don't think it's Will Disley time. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm calling that one of those like Ed Dixon games from last year when he took over for Greg Olson in Carolina and he put up like five receptions for 175 yards and I mean, I think he had another decent game in there somewhere, but he, he didn't come anywhere, you know, close to that again. Uh, I'm not rushing out to add Disley, you know, uh, other than maybe the deepest of uh, tight end premium leagues. But, um, yeah, you never know that if Baldwin's out, I don't know exactly who they're going to throw to there. There's not, not a lot of warm bodies with talent, so we shall see. Philip Rivers completed 34 of 51 passes for 424 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception in the Chargers' 38-28 Week 1 loss to the Chiefs. Uh, Going to go with no shit there. Philip Rivers is good. Almost always finishes in the top 12 of QBs, despite being drafted outside of it a lot of the time. Um, he's not always going to have that kind of game script where they're playing catch-up, but he's got a bunch of legit pass catchers on there. Uh, even his running backs, you know, Eckler and uh, Melvin Gordon are guys that catch passes really well, so they're not necessarily just feeding the rock to run it. They throw to him a lot. Uh, I would expect Philip Rivers to have plenty of, you know, big games this year and finish somewhere in like the back end of QB one territory, or maybe even towards the middle or the top of it. If he ends up with more game scripts like that, especially since their defense, uh, you know, going into this year, there's concern of their defense look really good. Oh, maybe, maybe they'll have more leads and he won't have to throw as much, but with the injuries that just keep mounting up with them, and uh, not to mention the, the constant special teams blunders, uh, maybe same old Chargers. They'll end up being behind plenty. Quarterback on the other side of that game, Patrick Mahomes, completed 15 of 27 passes for 256 yards and four touchdowns in the Chiefs' 38-28 Week 1 win over the Chargers, adding five rushes for 21 additional yards. I'm going with no shit. He looked great. You know, I watched most of that game, and I was not buying Mahomes this offseason just because I felt – it was the hype was getting a little out of control, despite not really having seen anything from him uh, other than one game that clearly he has a strong arm. But, you know, would he be throwing a lot of picks? And again, the uh, the Chargers defense is banged up. But at the same time, he had some really nice throws in there. Uh, I don't think you can expect four touchdowns every week, obviously, but uh, he could he's got a lot of weapons there. You know, if you can throw a ball to Tyreek Hill and he just breaks one for a 70-yard touchdown, you don't even need to be that great. So I think just based on the offense and, you know, the, the, the raw natural talent, even if he has some hiccups along the way, uh, it looks like he, he really could pay off. Emmanuel Sanders held in 10 of 11 targets for 135 yards and a touchdown in the Broncos' week one win over the Seahawks. No shit. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is good. He's been good. Uh, he's always kind of been a little bit undervalued. I think that the question of Case Keenum this year, would he be good enough to, you know, sustain them that after last year's when Sanders was injured, um, you know, the Broncos have had a few years of bad quarterback play and then Sanders and Thomas have kind of fought through that. And, it, you know, they're, they're both getting a little bit older and there's questions, Hey, can they still keep fighting through this? And Keenum was good enough tonight, 
and Sanders made the most of it. So I, I think that, you know, going forward, he's a guy you can deploy and he could get into uh, wide receiver two territory. I, I don't know. A lot of people were kind of getting to the point where they said, hey, you know, not only is he a value relative to Demarius Thomas, but he will outscore Demarius Thomas this year. I don't necessarily see that happening, that Thomas still got, you know, pretty, pretty big share of targets. And you know, this happened in the past. They alternate sometimes. Thomas will have a big game. Sanders will have a big game. Uh, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I just wouldn't get too, too crazy about it. But Sanders certainly looked good. Adrian Peterson racked up 96 yards and a touchdown on 26 carries while providing two catches for 70 yards on three targets Sunday in the Redskins' Week 1 victory over the Cardinals. Uh, This is a tough one for me because if he's going to get that kind of usage, then he'll be good. But you're not going to see two catches for 70 yards every uh, every week here. I'm going to say shit no, but... With the caveat that obviously if he keeps getting that kind of opportunity and they have uh, have positive game script, he can put up together games like this again. But Chris Thompson also looked really good, and Adrian Peterson's never been you know a big weapon in the passing game. So if if they have worse game scripts and the Cardinals just looked awful, uh, and the, the the Redskins were just leading them pretty much the entire game there, you're not going to see him get 26 carries. You know, that obviously, you know, 96 yards on 26 carries is not a great yard per carry average, uh, even though some of those were, you know, in situations where they were expecting the run. So you, you can't expect great things there. But, um, you know, as a waiver wire pickup, this is exactly what, what you were looking for. But I wouldn't get too carried away with them. Travis Kelsey caught just one of six targets for six yards in the Chiefs' week one win over the Chargers. I'm going to say shit. No, Travis Kelsey's still good. Um this game was the Tyreek Hill show, obviously. He kind of went off, but you're not going to see that every week where Tyreek is just getting all the targets. Uh, you're going to have some more weeks where Kelsey gets targeted a bit more. But it is worth noting that uh, the offense might be a little different with Mahomes in there as opposed to Alex Smith, who notoriously you know, loves the tight end, everybody says. So uh, it's possible that Kelsey's targets will go down from last year. But he still should be a top three tight end come the end of the season. Alvin Kamara rushed eight times for 29 yards and two touchdowns while also nabbing nine catches for 112 yards and another touchdown on 12 targets Sunday in the Saints' week one loss to the Buccaneers. Uh, I got to say no shit on this one, that Kamara is obviously talented. Uh, The worry was he was ultra efficient last year on not that many touches, but he's got three more games without Mark Ingram there where he's going to get plenty of touches. And there's no reason to think that he couldn't have his targets and touches go up a little bit from last year, just simply based on the fact that uh, he's, he's really good. So you're not going to get all these 40 point weeks every week, but I think that going forward, I, I was not drafting him at his cost, you know, going in the middle of the first round. But at the same time, uh, he's good. He's going to keep scoring a lot of points. Uh, they might not always have this great a game script, but even if they don't, uh, he can still rush a decent amount. So uh, he, he's he's kind of game script immune at this point, I'd say. Ryan Fitzpatrick completed 21 of 28 passes for a career-high 417 yards with four touchdowns and no interceptions while adding 36 yards and a touchdown on 12 carries Sunday in the Buccaneers' Week 1 win over the Saints. I'm going to go with shit now. I mean, I'm not bringing any ground to say that we can't expect him to do that again, hit a career high again. But at the same time, um, 
you know, they obviously had, they were going up against the Saints team that can put up a lot of points. They barely handed the ball off. I mean, you know, they scored a ton of points and Peyton Barber got almost nothing and no other running back got any touches really. So I think that, um, this was just, just one of those games where, you know, he was on fire. They were in the dome, I think. Uh, so I, I don't think you see this again out of him, but if you're looking for a streaming option over the next few weeks, he, he's not a bad play because Tampa Bay does have a lot of weapons. So, um, ride him while he's hot, but I would not expect this to go throughout the season. I, I still don't quite buy that the, uh, Buccaneers would not play Jameis Winston when he comes back unless Fitzpatrick stays like blazingly hot. David Johnson accrued 37 yards and a touchdown on nine carries, along with five catches for 30 yards on nine targets, Sunday in the Cardinals' week one loss to Washington. I'm going to say shit, no. This is just a bad game for the Cardinals all around. They had a lot of three and outs. Um, you know, the fact that he had nine targets is obviously a positive. That, uh, you know, he only caught five of them and didn't do a whole lot with them isn't great. But um, I think there's better weeks ahead for David Johnson. He's healthy. We know he's good. Uh, just, this was not a great, uh, week for him. I do think that there's reason for concern compared to past years when you had Bruce Arians running the offense, but, uh, I still think he's going to be a top five back by the time the year's over. Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league? Well, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. You may ask, how does SquadQL actually do this? Well, the app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster and your league scoring system. SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations, plus the app gives you player rankings each week, and it's all based on your league settings. SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season. Head to SquadQL.com to download SquadQL, your all-in-one fantasy football manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer trusted by 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android. Sean Jackson left Sunday's Week 1 game against the Saints with a concussion. He had a monster game prior to getting hurt, delivering five receptions for 146 yards and two touchdowns on just five targets. Uh, so, John, what impact do you think Jackson's absence will have on this offense, and who do you think will pick up the slack if he has to miss extended time? I'm not going to say that they won't skip a beat, but I think that's entirely possible that you know Chris Godwin has been getting hyped for a little while for a reason. He's pretty good. Uh, he caught a few passes, 41 yards and a touchdown today. He's not the same type of player as Jackson, but I think that he can step into his role and, and provide maybe not the same type of plays, but equally valuable plays that Jackson did. O.J. Howard is still catching big passes. He had two catches uh, this week for 54 yards. So you can see a lot coming from O.J. Howard stepping up. They have a lot of weapons in the passing game right now, and I don't think that Jackson's absence is going to be felt that badly for them. The one thing I kind of want to talk a little bit about is how did Ronald Jones, their early second-round draft pick, how did they declare him as an inactive right before the start of the game? What is happening here? <laughs> Yeah, I, I drafted a lot of Ronald Jones this year, um, at least until the preseason came around and he started, you know, it became pretty apparent that Peyton Barber was going to be the star. I said, okay, I think I got enough of this guy now. Um, it's it's really hard to say. In the preseason, he ran behind the second-string offensive line a lot. And he really didn't have a whole lot of room to run with. But even making those excuses for him, uh, there's no doubt that he 
had just an atrocious preseason. I mean, I, I don't know if there's uh, – I haven't looked through the stats, but I can't think of the last time a running back, you know, who's picked in the first few rounds had that many carries in the preseason for that few yards. Uh, so you got to wonder if there's something else going on over there, if his confidence got tanked or if, you know, it was really just kind of bad luck. Because, you know, you, you look at the yardage numbers and say, oh, well, he had more carries than yards, but, you know, he also – probably lost a good 20, 25 yards on getting tackled way behind the line of scrimmage, you know, as soon as the ball got handed off to him. So uh, it's a little curious. I, I think he's definitely good enough to be on there, but the the fact of the matter is they've got Jaquiz Rogers, who they think can uh, fill in that pass catching need for him there. And Ronald Jones has not been a prolific pass catcher. They say he's working on it, but he's not there yet. Um, and Sean Wilson plays on special teams, the guy, uh, the third running back they have there. So if they want to use him, uh, he would make more sense than Ronald Jones. So if they said, hey, we, we don't think we're going to use Ronald Jones in this game, I, I guess I can't blame him. I, I think that he's too talented to be kept down there. But at the same time, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, maybe this coaching staff uh, is doing a bad job by not having him a good enough weapon to be on the field on Sunday. But, you know, at the moment, if as a fantasy owner, you got to say, Hey, uh, I, I wouldn't be necessarily be cutting bait because if anything happens to Peyton Barber, um, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to just hand the reins over to quiz Rogers. I think you got to take, try the upside of Ronald Jones. But at the moment, you know, if he's inactive on game day, uh, he's not exactly a, a must have guy. Yeah. You were maybe smart to stop drafting him after his bad preseason i of course kept uh, kept doing it since i was able to get him at such a discount from where i had been drafting him so uh it looks really bad for most of my teams you know the one good play he had uh in the preseason sean siegel mentioned this on one of the high stakes podcasts i think um was where he you know basically ran a wheel route blew by the defensive back and caught uh pass for like 37 yards or something um something that you just don't really see Peyton Barber doing at all or Jaquiz Rogers doing at all uh so there's definitely elements to uh you know the passing game I guess or actually any part of the game maybe that Jones gives you that it seems like the Bucks can't get from another running back on their team uh so you know to me I think uh, I'm believing in the talent over the opportunity here and expecting him to get uh, to get an opportunity to, you know, show what he can do sooner rather than later. But um, I am also biased. So <laughs> hey, I, I was one of his biggest supporters this offseason. I, I still think he's talented. I just think that once you're in that coaching doghouse where they don't believe in you, that like that's not going to change too soon unless you know, unless unless something changes with the guys who are on the roster that they that they do believe in there that th- despite the fact they barely used Jaquiz Rogers last year, clearly they think he's got something they want there. Um, you know, and part of my hope was they start the season really bad, and I, I think all the Vegas books have Dirk Cutter as you know some of the best odds for first coach to get fired. Um, you know, maybe the coaching staff will get fired, and a new coach would say, hey, you know, we need to get the this uh, high second round pick on the field. You know, this guy's got too much talent not to use him. Maybe it's just the coaches. But now that they went in there and won this crazy game against the Saints, uh, maybe that's not going to happen too soon. So mm-hmm. I'm a little less hopeful of that happening. So it's it's more of a, 
you know, for a dy- from a dynasty perspective, I'm definitely still holding him. I think he does have that talent that he can come around and, and eventually be good. But if you're in a redraft league with shallower rosters, I definitely can't blame you for dropping him. If you got deep enough rosters, hold them, see where things go. But um, at the moment now, things obviously are, are a little bleak. Leonard Fournette was ruled out of the Jaguars' as week one against the Giants. Jaguars coach Doug Marone said he is pretty optimistic about Fournette's hamstring injury. John, if Fournette's injury limits him for a couple of weeks, how do you expect the backfield touches to be distributed? Well, we, we saw after he did go out in this game that Yeldon was the guy who stepped up. So, I mean, that, that's the obvious, you know, immediate answer there that TJ Yeldon caught a pass for a touchdown. He had 14 or 15 carries and uh, Corey Grant barely touched the ball at all. Um, I think that obviously just based on that, you have to imagine Yeldon's going to get the first crack at the job to uh, to really go in there and be the starter. But Corey Grant got a lot of hype this offseason. He made some nice plays last year. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a decent amount of touches. But just based on what the coaches did in this game, uh, Yeldon certainly looks like the guy to own. Uh, he's a guy I'd be targeting if he's on the waiver wire. Um, and, you know, he played decently well with the opportunity. The Jaguars are going to run the ball. You know, that defense is still very good. They're going to have some leads, and they're going to want to get to the running backs instead of, you know, having Bortles sling it all over the field. So whoever's back there getting the touches is going to be pretty valuable, and I expect that to be yelled in right now. Supposedly, I think I read that wherever the hamstring injury was, the location of it in Fournette's leg was positive, you know, in that, that it, it wasn't as bad as it could be or something. So it's questionable how much time he misses, but I, I almost definitely expect him to miss at least one week here. So uh, I'd be picking up Yeldon wherever I can. And, and Grant, you know, in deeper leagues, obviously, Corey Grant should be owned. Yeah, that's another thing I think Marone said is that he heard it was in in a good part of the leg. So who knows? Yeah, what that whatever means, that is. Yeah. Um, I, I was really hopeful for Corey Grant coming into this season. He had a pretty good preseason, obviously was uh, really good in one of the Jaguars' playoff games last year. Um, and, you know, I was even hopeful at the beginning of this game. I think his one carry came pretty early on in the game, so it seemed like they wanted to actually kind of work him in. So it was a little surprising to see that basically he got that one carry and then wasn't even really on the field at all after that. Um so, yeah, I don't know. I'm hopeful that maybe he can get a little more opportunity if Fournette does have to miss games. I think that he is a little bit more explosive than Yeldon, or at least uh, he you know, kind of profiles that way. And uh, uh, I think he could be better than Yeldon, so I really want, want him to work out. Um, but, yeah, definitely doesn't look like they have plans to, to get him involved, unfortunately. Yeah, and I'd, I'd also monitor, uh, just monitor the injury news this week before waivers run, just to make sure Grant didn't, you know, have like a little nagging thing, and they decided, hey, if Yeldon's running good, let's just keep running him, because it, it did seem odd with Fournette going out that they wouldn't give Grant any work. Um, I thought that was a little bit strange, because it's not like Yeldon was was really, you know, lighting the world on fire where he said, hey, we can't take him off the field, you know, spell him for a carry or two. So uh, some to some to just watch, make sure that there's no Corey Grant news or anything like that. But you know, as it stands right now, the fact that uh, Yeldon took that big a piece of the workload, you know, it's it's hard to recommend Corey Grant over him. What do you make of the Jaguars' running game overall this season? I mean, after having seen one week, 
I mean, the biggest thing is they're committed to it. Like it or not, uh, that defense – that defense has. I was looking at some defensive statistics earlier, and just looking at um, you know, uh, money spent on the defense and draft capital as a percentage of their total cap. The Jaguars' defense this year, they have spent uh, more money tied up in their defense as a percentage of their cap than any team in the past like five or six years, and even even a higher percentage than they did last year. Um, and they also have a lot of young draft picks who. Uh, are good and didn't aren't you know really contributing a whole heck of a lot to that salary cap um, compared to like you know a high price free agent for instance so they have a lot of talent on that defense and I expect them yeah they might regress a little bit from last year where they were just you know amazing but I think they're still going to be good and as long as that's the case they're going to be running the ball a lot so I think whoever's in that backfield it doesn't really matter if they're too too talented there's going to be opportunity and there's going to be a lot of fantasy points to come from it. All right, well, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest, John Lipinski. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at FF underscore Skeeball. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His Radio channel on iTunes and subscribe to our Patreon. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast.